Welcome to Headset, the podcast that talks to athletes, coaches, and sport executives. They share with us some behind-the-scenes stories and experiences, as well as some insights as to how they get their headset to perform. Pitter-patter, let's get at her. Welcome to the Headset Sports Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Jason Galea, and I have a guy today that literally has been kicking ass and taking names for years. This is a guy who decided to enter the National Football League at the age of 24, coming out of a little school called Notre Dame. Yes, the Fighting Irish, not too shab. Yeah, our boy today enters the National Football League age of 24 and decides to kick it, literally, for another 24 years. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about football legend, football great, number five on the all-time scoring leader list, the one and only John Carney. Yes, this gentleman spent 24 years in the national football teams with such teams as the Bengals, Chargers, Giants, Saints, and oh yeah, by the way, um, he picked up a fat ring with New Orleans. Yeah, he's a Super Bowl champ. 24 years of literally kicking it. John Carney is now helping young athletes do the same. What do I mean? Well, he's created a training program in San Diego, California, where he's working with young kickers of all ages from all around the country to not only better their performance, but literally get their head set to perform. I'm not going to step on his thunder and uh, take away from some of the great things that he has to share with us uh, during our interview today, but you're going to love some of the incredible sports psychology that this man passes on to young athletes from all over the country that he works with. So without any further ado, I bring to you the one and only John Carney. Hello everyone, today I'm really lucky to be talking to a San Diego legend, an NFL legend, um, a guy who, who I feel I have so much in common with. I have a gentleman on the horn today with me who I've taken hostage. He's in the top five all-time scoring leaders, record holders for his position. I have the one and only Mr. John Carney. John, thank you so much for being here and talking to me today on the Headset Sports Podcast. I am I'm, I'm so eager to, to learn a little bit more about you and, and, uh, and, and just hear some of the insights and stories you have. So, John, good morning. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you, Jason. It's my pleasure. So, so John, I, I got to tell you a, a story. I told you a few minutes ago I was going to tell you this story. And um, um, I, I, I don't even know why I'm starting this way, but who cares? Let's go with it. So a few years ago, I'm, I'm working with a guy who says, uh, he says, Jay, uh, there's a group that could use your, your, your help. And, and maybe you want to go talk to them. And this is years ago, John. This is when uh, Sayal's restaurant was yeah. still around. And um, the, the group was for the NFL Players Alumni Association. And, and the gentleman who was running this meeting, uh, his name was Jim Lazovic. 
Laz, who, who does the, I think, Channel 7 Sports Report or the sports, you know, uh, yeah, stuff for the, for the news. Well. What a great guy. Great guy. And, and, and I, I go into this room, the back private room at, at the old sales restaurant, and there's this eclectic group of guys, like just monsters of men, monsters. And, and we go in the back room and um, Jim comes in and he's the conductor of the meeting. He's running the show. He's the captain of the show. And um, he, he, he says, you know what? We've got a lot of new faces here. And, and, you know, why don't we go around the horn introducing ourselves and why we're here? So all of a sudden, um, he says, you start first. And he points to the middle of the table. And it's the gentleman sitting to the right of me. And, and around the horn, he goes. And it's all of these football legends that are talking, right? And they're telling all their stories. And they're looking at networking and, and, and getting questions answered about, you know, uh, certain things with, with the alumni association and whatnot, right? And guys who, who need some help. A lot of them, all of them are looking for networking opportunities, but some need some help, whether it's medical stuff or uh, alumni affairs stuff, whatever it may be. And it's going around the horn, around the horn, around the horn. And who's last to talk? This guy. And, and I just say, listen, um, my name is Jay, and, and, and I, I work as, as a sports psychology consultant. I, I work with athletes, I work with teams, I work with coaches, and, and I heard about your group, and um, I, just, I just wanted to help. And, and I'm here just to volunteer my help. That's all, that's all I'm here for, to be a resource for you guys, and, and any way I can, I can help, I'm here. And all of a sudden, the guy looks at me, who's beside me, he's a monster of a man. And he looks at me and goes, are you for real? And I go, yeah. He goes, you got a card? I go, yes, sir. Here you go. And, and, I, and I put up my card. And he looks at my card. And he goes, oh, thank God. For a second there, I thought you were a freaking kicker. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the group. <laughs> so, so that was my hello to you, buddy. <laughs> So, so John, I, I gotta, I gotta ask you, right? Like, like you, you grew up um, out, out, out back east, and 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 playing in uh, in high school. H how did you end up kicking? H how did you end up in the spot? Uh, well, funny question. Soccer was my passion at the time. Actually, playing the trumpet and, and playing soccer in junior high, those were my two passions. And then uh, went to a high school, didn't have a band, so that took care of that. And, uh, but soccer again was my passion. Uh, but I went to a high school, Cardinal Newman high school in West Palm beach, Florida. They had a phenomenal football program run by, uh, one of the, uh, you know, most decorative, uh, <clears throat> high school coaches in Florida history. Uh, coach Sam Bunnick who coached for, I don't know, geez, almost 35 years. Um, and uh, was athletic director, you name it. Uh, just an amazing man, uh, former Marine, a Notre Dame graduate, and just ran a great football program. And so it, it became clear to me at my high school that being part of the football program was a rite of passage for the young men that, that attended there. So my sophomore year, after I figured that out, I went out for the football team and uh, thought I was a receiver. And uh, what I was to realize that I was not a very good receiver, but 
the guys kicking and punting footballs were football people, no soccer background. There were big giant guys that were kicking footballs. Uh, the, the, the kickers were using a square toe shoe, the old dinosaur shoe. And so <clears throat> I decided to go to a kicking camp and learn how to kick some footballs, punt some footballs. And that was my ticket onto the field. Uh, my first camp I ever went to was a day camp in Fort Lauderdale. It was a Garrow U Premium kicking and, and soccer camp. Uh, Garrow was just finishing up his career with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with an amazing career with the Dolphins and a very popular figure in South Florida. And so that was my first true instruction for kicking a football. And uh, JV year, I kicked and punted. Uh, and then same for my uh, junior and senior year, uh, was the kicker and punter for the varsity team, but really thought I was going to play soccer in college. And then we had an All-American running back who attracted every scout in the country. Uh, Lonzo Jefferson, amazing running back. Uh, he ended up um, <clears throat> committing to Notre Dame. Uh, my head coach, also being a Notre Dame grad, was pushing me onto the, the recruiting coach. And because they got the guy they wanted, Alonzo Jefferson, the running back, they took me as a preferred walk-on to the University of Notre Dame. And that was my ticket into uh, college sports. Wow. Wow. You, you, you and I have some, some similarities. Um, growing up in the community that I, I was raised in, in, in Toronto, uh, the high school that I went to was a huge soccer uh, school. We actually had a kid on our team. Um, his name was Marco Antonucci. I'll never forget this guy. He was the first overall draft pick in the Canadian Professional Soccer League. He ended up getting uh, recruited by Rome, AC Rome. And then one of my dearest, dearest friends since his childhood is a guy by the name of Dominic Albanez who uh, was recruited and gotten a scholarship from our, our team to Syracuse. And um, the, these guys were like the, the groundbreakers in, in, our, in our area, especially with this guy, Dominic, who, who took Canadian soccer and in and, and our, our illustrious neighborhood of, of famous soccer kids and programs and coaches and whatnot. It kind of broke through the, um, the ceiling, I guess you could say, of Canadians coming south to play soccer. But... I also have a cousin who played for Team Canada in a, in a World Cup, and, and uh, I, I had no idea you were a big soccer guy. So you, I got to believe that you're the guy taking all the free kicks, <laughs> or at least goal kicks, for your team back in the day. Uh, I took a few. Uh, I love the game. Uh, played all over the field. Um, but uh, oddly enough, um, the recruiting for soccer just wasn't big. I guess yeah. in my area, even even some of the top soccer players uh, in the area that I played with, uh, and they were much more decorated than myself, uh, were were walking on the college programs and really not attracting a lot of scholarships, which was really bizarre to me because I thought they were, you know, phenomenal uh, players on the field. So um, my opportunity to play college football was brighter than my opportunity to play college soccer, and uh, knowing Notre Dame and the great reputation it had and the education I would receive. Uh, my father was a big uh, lover of the university as well. Um, mm -hmm. So it was an easy decision. So, so John, you had the chance to do both uh, place kicking and, and, and even punting, right? So did you like one over the other? Uh, they're really different animals, to be honest with you. It's a different yeah. swing, different mechanics, uh, different situations in the game. Uh, I think I preferred kicking overall. 
Uh, but punting was just another opportunity to get on the field and be a part of the team and do something special for hopefully something special for the team. So I certainly enjoyed that. Um, I thought that uh, I was told that the, the punting opportunity would be the first to come up when I went to Notre Dame, uh, which wasn't the case when I got there. Um, the kickoff position was open, which I wasn't aware of. And so I jumped into that competition and ended up kicking off my freshman year. Oh my God. Wow. So, so I, I've got to ask, ask you this. When, when you're going to a school as prestigious and, and just football is everything at that school. I, I know they've got really, really good sports and, and, and other things, um, but football's the king there. When, when you're going in for, for such a position, I, I, this is where, where I, I, I feel we're so similar, you and I. It, it's not like, like they look at you and say, well, you know what, maybe we'll use you at linebacker or maybe we'll use you as a running back, right? Like you, you're going in for something specific. Um, how many guys were walk-ons or recruits for just that position alone? Well, I know it varies from program to program and year to year. I know when I came in, uh, it was a full house. We had, I think, four or five walk-on kickers, a couple walk-on punters. And that doesn't count the guys that were already there. Yeah. I think there were, um, you know, upperclassmen. I think there were two, three kickers and two other three punters, maybe. So we had a ton of specialists. Yeah. If some of those guys played other positions. The starting punter is actually our quarterback at the time. Blair Keel uh, was a starting quarterback and the punter. But uh, there was a, a crowded house there for specialists. Um, they did they did find a way to to release a few of the kick the walk on kickers um, early. They just kind of figured that these guys weren't going to be in for the long term. And so they they found a convenient excuse of saying their neck wasn't strong enough and sent them on their way. And I was like, Oh my God, my neck! they're going to test my neck. I'm in trouble. But, uh, are you serious? So, their well, neck wasn't strong enough. Yeah. I don't know where they came up with that, but, uh, those guys, that's what they were told. Um, Oh my God. So <laughs> we were all oh panicked. Oh my God. Oh my panicked, God. But, uh, but yeah, it was, it was very competitive, uh, but exciting at the same time, just to have that, the opportunity. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I, I, I guess, you know, you and myself um, played positions growing up that that w- would get the title of uh, the different guy, the weird guy, um, the, the guy who, um, I guess in so many ways, doesn't get the attention they need until all the chips are on the table, right? So it's, it's funny how the weird guy position is the one that saves people's bacon 99.9% of the time. Right. And, and it, 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 it's funny, you know, in, in my sport of ice hockey, um, you get labeled as the weird guy. They, people make fun of you, um, mock you. And then when it comes to the most important time of the season, this thing called playoffs, any coach, across the board will say the most important guy is the weird guy, <laughs> right? It's, it's, so, it's so funny, right? I guess my question for you is, when did you start 
receiving that label. Because I can tell you, I started getting that at, at around 11 and 12 years of age. Yeah. And, and, and I took it as a joke until I started really realizing that people meant it the way they meant it. Um, yeah. So I guess my question to you is, when did you start getting the, the welcome to the club of the weird dudes? <laughs> when did that start happening? You know, I probably uh, got a little bit of that at, at, in high school, but I was too naive to figure that out. You know, I, I, I was still, football was still new to me. I didn't play pop Warner or anything, you know, any type of football until my sophomore year in high school. So wow. I didn't understand uh, the, the clicks of the team or the, or the, the groups um, of the team. So uh, I, I felt uh, with my naivety that I was part of the team. You know? yeah. <laughs> so, you know, ignorance is yeah. kind of like the water boy, you know, and then, uh, yeah. Uh, so probably in college, I guess at times, you know, I kept on seeing that uh, we specialists were kind of separate all the time and sent off to do our own thing all the time and sent to the other field. And um, and there's always a couple of characters that that help promote the <clears throat> the weirdness, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Stereotype, stereotype. But uh, I also realized, like you that when the chips are on a table or the game's on the line and you do something positive, how, uh, um, how that brings the team back to you or brings you in back into the team. You know, I, I, I'll say this, John, one of the things that I know I've shared with young goalies for many, many years, um, as well as, as people in the quarterback position, uh, kicking um, that unique, the unique position of sport, whatever that may be, is is the value of of bringing those you play with close to you, and 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 the value of being just an all around good team guy, and I and I when I say guy, I mean men and women who are playing their sport, because. My, my feeling has always been that um, no matter how good your position coach is, your skill coach is, the one thing that uh, you can never get from these individuals is the, the ability to have your team play for you. And, and if you can, can develop that, you know, that, that trust and that camaraderie and, and that, like you say, have, have the tide sway over in your side, people believing in you and, and, and caring about you, um, that's when you start building something really special, right? And, and, and I, I got to believe that in, in your scenario, it's guys work a little bit harder to block for you. Um, guys are there to, to pick you up when things don't go so well. Um, I, I know I had that for, for, for my portion of my career where, where you could just tell that people are working a little bit harder for you. You know, and, and, and they, they, they pick you up a little bit easier when things didn't go well. So I'm, I'm wondering if you can touch base on that at all and, and, and maybe some of the things you have to coach young, young kickers in that direction. with. Well, absolutely. And although our, our skill training is so much different than the majority of the football team, for the most part, we're not practicing throwing, catching, blocking, or tackling. We're practicing a skill that only – we on the team perform um 
all that being said, uh, the, the, the more training you can do with your teammates. And I always encourage my kickers when they go back to their teams, whether back to high school or back to college or back to the pros, you better be working out side by side with them when it comes to strength and conditioning. Um, do not alienate yourself from the team and separate yourself from the team because you have a special workout and you don't want to run and you don't want to lift. And that's not part of who you are. And because that, that will create a division. And like you said, uh, when things don't go your way and, and sooner or later, they won't go your way. There's just too many variables. You know, there's no kicker that uh, retired as a, you know, 100% uh, error-free career. Um, things are, are, are going to go sideways at some point and you want the support of your team, your coaches, uh, you want that camaraderie. You want them to understand that uh, you're doing everything within your power to perform at the best level you can perform for your team. And um, so they really need, when they have opportunities to be a part of the team, to be a part of the training, to be a part of the grind, that they need to be there with their guys, sweating and, and pushing through and grinding. Um, and, and players see that and they uh that that brings the team together um, yeah. you don't want factions and you don't want alienations um you want that brotherhood and you're not going to get that brotherhood by separating yourself during the course of of practice scrimmages games when when the going gets tough you're somewhere else right. uh, that doesn't fly too well john do you ever do you ever have moments where you actually have to coach coaches on that point that you're making and, and, and give them the same kind of chit chat regarding the kickers? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I, I, I certainly have had a, many conversations with my coaches play, as a player and as an older player, when they were looking me to looking to me to, to mentor the young kickers. So I, at the end of my career, I was filling in for kickers who were hurt or underperforming. And the coach would kind of pull me aside and say, Oh, can you mentor this kid as well? Can you teach him a few things? Yeah. Grow him up a little bit. And so, um, so yes, I have had that conversation with them. Um, I have opportunities now as a consultant to speak with coaches and you just bringing that up. There's a lot of topics I hit, but that would be another good one for me to spend a little more time on when I consult with coaches about the specialists really uh, partaking and involving themselves in more team training. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's incredible how, um, how some of the specialty positions in sport over time, I find if you don't address that, it's so easy for that individual or group of individuals to just create their own Island. Oh yeah. And, and, and like you said, the factions part, once those islands start developing, they're so hard to pull back together. They, 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 it becomes an us versus them kind of scenario on teams. And it's, it's, it's hard. And then it's, then it, then it becomes even tougher to try and get that team to play for you and do those little extra things for you. So I, I, I gotta, I, there's so many things that we, we can talk about and, 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 and I, I'm dying to pick your brain on so many topics, but I, I gotta ask you a couple big ones here. Like when you entered the NFL, how old were you 
when you when you graduated and finished college at Notre Dame and moved on, how, how old were you when you entered the the big league? Well, I was twenty three or twenty four, but I didn't enter right away. I, I had a training camp immediately after graduation with the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, they kept me around for a cup of coffee and sent me on my way. Uh, as Brian Adams says, your your Canadian buddy, the first cut is the deepest. And so that, that one hurt. I couldn't believe I was being cut yeah. at 6 a.m. in the morning. Oh. Uh, but that, you know, coach wants to see you bring your playbook kind of thing. And so oh. I was like, well, you're cutting me? I'm supposed to be kicking for the Bengals this year. I don't understand what you're <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but then I spent three years uh, training, going to training camps, going to workouts, going to tryouts, uh, learning from veterans, learning from my competitors, uh, growing my game physically and mentally, uh, and understanding that the role of place kicker in the NFL was a lot bigger and uh, required a lot more than the role of the place kicker at the collegiate level. Um, so I was learning all that. And then which ended up being uh, the silver lining because when I finally did get the opportunity to stick with the San Diego Chargers, I had built a bigger toolbox of, of, of wisdom and training and approach uh, to hold on to the job. So, so you, you're stealing some of my thunder right now. You're a real jerk, just so, just so you know, right? One of my big lines is, is toolbox, and, and we'll, we'll come to that. So just to let you know that I have a copyright on that slogan, just like you know, LeBron has 3P, right? I have toolbox, so be careful, all right? <laughs> but I, so, so you're really freaking me out right now because if, if I did my math correct, and, and please correct me, I'm, I'm probably wrong. Are, are we talking 24 years in the NFL for your career? Yeah, give or take. So um, we usually say it's 23, but 21 full seasons, and then picked up games in two other seasons that didn't count for a credited season, but there were still games within that regular season. Um, so, yeah, I always rounded up to 23. Uh, and then, you know, again, a few more years of workouts and tryouts on the front end. So, so as a goalie, we, we complain when certain shots, uh, hit the crossbar or hit the goalpost. Cause I don't know if you know this, but in, in, in my sport, you can face a howitzer of like 90 miles an hour that just misses your head. And when it hits the crossbar or goalpost, um, that does not count as a shot on net what little stat for you there pal so so you you being so honest and and being so genuine with your stats god bless you i don't give a crap what you say i'm calling it 24 years (laughs) so here's here's the scary thing would would, you know a person like myself would not pick up in your, your 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 sweetness your calmness you're basically saying that you spent the equal number of years in the most elite football league in the world as you did being a normal human being on the planet. <laughs> that That's just like unheard of. Like you, you are Steve Austin, the bionic man. 
Like, <laughs> I, like I know, right? I used to have the action figure when I was a kid yeah. to date myself. Um, but but I, I got to say this, buddy. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. My, my, my hat's off to you. God bless you for, for being more than the Iron Man. Like, like is, is it safe to say that you must have a record that no one will ever beat? Because I can't imagine there's anyone who lasted longer than you. Well, George Blanda, Martin Anderson, and Gary Anderson are the three that come to mind. Oh, uh, whatever. Uh, I do hold a, uh, an odd record. I think there's two other players that, that, that share this with me, but I ended up playing professional games in four different decades. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That, like... You should be walking in and out of stadiums with the heavyweight champ belt on your shoulder. <laughs> You're like the Ric Flair <laughs> of the kicking game, at least. Um, so, so you know, so many amazing things you've accumulated. You, you have several Pro Bowls, first team All-Star, second team All-Star. You won a little thing called the Super Bowl, Yahoo. Um, you, you've been there, done that. Is there anything that he eluded you that, that you say, looking back, I wish I would have got that one. Is there anything that, that snuck past? Uh, I mean, I was very, very, very blessed, uh, you know, for me to complain, that would be horrible. Um, very blessed to play in the, in the game um, because it took me a while to get in that three years of kind of grinding and, and figuring uh, the bigger formula out. Um, at that point, it was just let's just silence some critics and play for a couple of years just to prove it to everybody that I could play at that level um, and, and silence my critics. But uh, then it was, you know, pretty good gig. So I decided to hold on to it for a while. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> you so, didn't mean- you know, I think I think kickers, you know, I certainly was very fortunate, had my opportunities and, and, and was fortunate and lucky to to make a lot of game winning field goals and game time field goals. Uh I think every kicker dreams to be Adam Benetieri kicking, you know, oh. game-winning field goals in the Super Bowl. Uh, that wasn't that 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 didn't come my way, but uh, all in all, um, it was a lot of fun, a great experience, and 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 a wonderful opportunity to have a career in the NFL. Wow, it's just amazing. I I mean, God bless you. You're an incredible, incredible athlete. So to jump into a couple things here, you know, as we've discussed and, and you know, um, headset sports were, were a system that, that's used by athletes, coaches, and teams to help kids of all ages and levels of ability develop a, a mantra of focus, shall we say, calm emotions, prepare themselves. Did, did you have any help on the mental side of the game? When, when you were coming up the ranks and, and even playing in the pros, did you ever work with anybody? Uh, no, I didn't. Uh, you know, maybe I'm not professionally anyways. Uh, I, I'm sure there were times that I questioned uh, upper upperclassmen or, or other pros, but many times those pros I was competing for their job. I wanted their job. So they, they were only going to share so much. Um, so I would say most of my learning came from observation 
of guys that I thought were doing it at a high level and I wanted to mimic their performance. So observing what they were doing and giving that a shot and then, you know, trial and error. Um, yeah. I had my fair shares of, of errors and, and figured, okay, that didn't work. Um, let's try something new. So. Right. <laughs> sure. Sure. But, but, you know, I, I gotta believe at some point in time you created that, that recipe of success for yourself, right? you you're, you're the things that you needed to do to become the athlete you are, you, you had as a professional, when, when did you feel things were starting to really come together for you? Because you, you, you mentioned, um, you know, the, the curveballs you had going into Notre Dame and then, you know, your, your first introduction with, with the Bengals and not going exactly the way you wanted it to. But when you look back now, right, almost doing uh, the ghost of Christmas past, shall we say, when, when can you see yourself being in stride? Like I'm, I'm on. Well, uh, I thought my sophomore, my sophomore year statistically was my best year in college. Mm -hmm. Um, for whatever reason, things came easy that year. Uh, and then we had some coaching changes and personnel changes, uh, between my sophomore junior year. And I didn't, didn't handle those well. Didn't see that coming. Mm -hmm. Didn't see that there was, it was going to be any different. Uh, and it was, and I, I, um, so I'm learning trial and error there, like, okay, things aren't going well, how to fix it. So, um, I, I didn't have all the answers to how to fix problems, uh, or predict that they were, uh, around the corner and how to prepare for that. Mm -hmm. uh, and then <clears throat> learning during those three years, uh, trying to knock on the door of the NFL and learning from the veterans and the other competitors I was coming uh, in contact with. Uh, that's, I think, and, and going back, you know, going back to the shop or the lab, whatever you like to call it back in Florida, where I was living and experimenting and trying things. And I, I really started to narrow down the focus of my training and my mental capacity and, who I should and should not be listening to. Um, you know, I call it the circle of trust, you know, who I really am going to uh, lend an ear to or, or uh, give value or, or credit for, for their type of response or critique or description or advice for my training and my performance. Because um, it's really easy to listen to the wrong people that you think are credible and they're not, and they send you down a rabbit hole and it takes you a long time to figure out that you're down the wrong hole and to climb out and, and, and get back on, you know, level ground. You know, you're, you're going to owe me lunch when we see each other because you're stealing all of my stuff right now. Okay. And, and this, this is garbage circle of trust. <laughs> circle of trust is a De Niro quote. Okay. I'm watching you, Parker. I'm watching you, <laughs> but it, you know, it, it's, it's so scary. The things that you're saying, right? Cause you, you're sharing so many of the things that, that I know I had explained to me or that I went through in my, in my world. And, and again, this is the similarity of you and I in that specialty sport position, 
um, talking to people or taking opinions from people outside the circle of trust. Can, can you touch on that a little bit in, in what you mean by that? Because I know what I would refer to with with my world, but I, I'm curious to know about your world, the person who's outside of that circle. What, what do you mean by that? So uh, there's a lot of well-meaning people out there that we will come in contact with. Uh, they could be coaches. They could be a parent. They could be a friend. They could be a teammate. Um, and they, they want to play Monday morning quarterback and they want to offer their suggestions. Hey, you know, you missed two kicks to the right. Uh, and then they have an answer for that. And, um, and you or me, myself being naive, uh, I'm listening to all this advice and I'm trying to follow some of this advice. And, you know, that sounds pretty good. Let me give that a shot. And uh, understanding at the end of the day that a lot of this advice was was wrong and misguided. And I started uh, at some point realizing I need to focus on the, you know, if, if someone's giving me advice, what's the source? Is it credible? Is it valid? So if if Jason Galea came up to me and offered me advice, <clears throat> I, I would lend a deaf ear to it at first until I understood and knew who you were and your background and you've been you've been in the limelight you've, you've been in a situation where the game is on the line everybody's depending on you and your preparation is a key to your success your uh, your mental capacity your mental focus um, your your desire and motivation to make this thing turn out right uh, knowing all that I'm going to listen to you I'm going to listen to Jason but I'm not going to listen to uh, my running back who's got a great idea or, or my neighbor who, uh, you know, who went out and he, and he shot 10 over par and he feels like he's a PGA golfer now. And so he's got the, the he's going to unlock my mental game. Um, yeah. I'm not going to listen to those guys. So it took me a while to understand the difference and the really, 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 scrutinize who was giving me advice and whether or not I should listen to it. it it's amazing what you say, John. It, it, it really is because, you know, the, when you, when you look at, at the level of influence that some people can have on us, it, it's, it's mind blowing because uh, even the way you're, you're brought up could have a factor in all of that as well. Right. Like, you know, be respectful to your elders, listen to what people have to say. They're only trying to help you. Th- these are some of the comments that, that I received back from, from my mom. And, and um, when I was trying to figure out my way, per se, um, but it's amazing how how it doesn't matter if it's if it's you know youth, if it's recreational, elite recreational, college or pro. It's amazing how we always come back to this saying in some way, shape, or form of uh, where did you play <laughs> before before you coach me? Where did you play? And and, and I guess you know in, in certain times. It, it really has a deep meaning. Where did you play, right? Where, where is this information coming from? Where your advice? Um, what, what can you what, what can you tell me about how you put together that um, mental and emotional recipe for yourself when you were basically finding your stride? Because I, I guess, I guess. I'm making an assumption here and I'm assuming that some of the things that you did in college, you took with you to the pros. 
Yep. When did you start putting together your your secret recipe for success of of getting to yourself together mentally, emotionally? Because the physical is the physical. You 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 know what you need to do. And you may or may not have specialty people helping you, but all those other things that you have to control. When did, when did you start putting that together, and what did that look like? Well, I you know I think it started you know even back in high school. Um, the desire to be better, the desire to be more consistent and desire to reach my potential. So I think it started in high school. And, but again, um, young people just don't always cover all the bases. And, and, uh, and sometimes we miss, we miss aspects or, or miss um, certain elements of our game, our training, our focus, or the distractions that are in our lives and even recognizing those distractions. And so, you know, it was a process. And I think it, I continued, hopefully, in the right direction through college, but, you know, certainly experienced trials that I was like, you know, I, I didn't have the right answer for that one, so I got to go find the right answer for that situation, uh, and then, you know, into the pros as well, um, and, and, and learning again from, from some mentors or, or observing guys doing it well, um, and, and even looking through other sports and, and looking to see how other athletes reacted to certain situations. Um, yeah. I, yeah. So there's another story that goes along with that. <laughs> no, I, and I, I'd love to, I'd love to hear it because um, you know, at some point in time, I got to believe you, you fell into to your own rhythm of doing your own do right. Like, Last night, I was watching this documentary um, on ESPN. It was the 30 for 30 that was on a couple days ago looking at uh, the Lance Armstrong story. And um, something that was very familiar in, he, in what he was describing that he would do, which uh, in getting his mindset, his emotions set to go and compete and race, is something similar that, that a lot of athletes do. And, and, and I don't know if they realize it or not, or maybe they do and they just don't want to share because it, it seems weird. But he talks about creating um, not so much just a mental movie, but a mental dialogue where he would create fictitious arguments and, and stories to heighten his aggression for competing against somebody. And, and you might remember this old movie years ago was with uh, James Caan called The Program, the football movie. Yeah. And it had the linebacker. And I bring this up a lot when I'm, when I'm, when I'm dealing with, with different athletes where the linebacker, as you remember, would create these fictitious scenarios uh, with his competition and be yelling it at his you know, competition saying, hey, I remember you and you're the guy that broke into my mom's house and I've been looking for you. And in, 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 that's in terms of, of aggression, right? I'm wondering, did what did you need to do your job? Did you need aggression? Did you need calm? Did you need a little of both? What did you need to go do what you had to do? So aggression would get a kicker in trouble. Um, uh, but you certainly want to draw on adrenaline. Mm. So, um, and I think... Uh, you know, it starts with your preparation during the week or even during the off season. Uh, and knowing, <clears throat> I think one of the great motivators 
for me anyways, was knowing the, the heights that you could reach during a season and in the depths uh, of disaster you could reach during the season. And that was motivating for me to always check myself as far as my preparation and am I really getting ready for the season or am I, am I just letting the season creep up on me? And, um, and the, and if you, if you, if you want really, uh, a strong, strong confidence going into a game or strong confidence going into a season, your, your preparation is, is the key. Um, you know, mental, physical, emotional, spiritual. I mean, you're, you're preparing, um, you're preparing for what may be one moment. Uh, and that one moment you may have hundreds and hundreds of hours and hundreds of hundreds of kicks and, and, and lessons learned for that one moment. Um, and that can happen. That moment may arise during that season, during that week, during that game. And, uh, if you are truly prepared and you felt you checked all the boxes, your confidence and your mental game going into that opportunity is going to be riding very high. Um, any type of mispreparation or, or bumps in the road that you experience leading up to that competition creates the insecurity and the, uh, the doubt that you're not 100% prepared and that doubt can certainly grow into anxiety. And then next thing you know, you're, you're in trouble as you step onto the field. John, you're, you're, you're like dropping nuggets of gold here, buddy. It's, it's unbelievable. The stuff you're sharing and you're, you're killing me here because my ADD is kicking in and there's so many things I want to ask you right now. Like I, I, I feel like a fat kid at Baskin Robbins right now. Um, I did want to mention this, though. I missed this earlier. Uh, we talked about paying attention to your, your circle of trust, who you're listening to and who you're not listening to. Mm-hmm. And you probably experience this a lot, Jay, and I've experienced it now as a coach coaching high school, college, and even pro players. But really the high school, well, I actually have one pro free agent that I'm dealing with. But <clears throat> the circle of trust breaking, breaking oh. the, uh, the, the line or the re- – the the coaching relationship between the parent and the kid when the parent doesn't have that experience but he's been coaching that son or daughter all the way up through her little leagues and and junior highs and high schools and uh, I literally and I won't tell you who but I literally was talking to a very accomplished college kicker the first time I met him it was after a game and he was asking me some pretty good questions and I was answering them. And his father was interrupting me answering in his own, his own terms and knowledge. And I gently, I gently moved and stood in front of his father, my back to him. So I only myself and the player were face to face. And I basically gently politely moved in front of the father to cut him out of the conversation it was amazing <laughs> this oh, yeah. questions and the dad was answering the questions you know i i've seen so much of that buddy in in in, in my world we, we call that you know the titanium umbilical cord right like it, it just it, it, it's never going to get cut right and and 
You know, I, I spend time donating my, my time um, in a couple of different, you know, governing bodies to, to do coaching certifications and classes. And, and you know, the, the one piece of baggage that, you know, every kid brings to every sport, every field, whatever it may be, is uh, the baggage of the parent. And, uh, you know, and this is where we say, too bad we just can't coach orphans. Um, but, but, you know, it's, it, it's, it's again, that circle of trust, right? Because you, you, you bring up a really, a really difficult scenario when, when you bring this up, like this is a heavy, heavy, deep Jacques Cousteau deep topic you bring up here, because in that scenario that you're describing, I mean, that accomplished athlete, he's, he's trapped, like he, he he wants your advice because he knows you can take him to the next level, but at the same time he's probably catching a ride with that guy trying to prove to you that you know he's read every manual on the planet, <laughs> right? Like he's got to go home with that guy. He's got to you know listen to that guy again, right? And and how how do you teach insight, right? Like how how, how do you teach you know be respectful? but apply this, <laughs> you know? So I, I don't like, I wonder, do, do, do you face that a lot with, with, with your program that you're, you're, you've created the launch pad? Do you have a yeah. lot of parents? Yeah. I mean, not a lot, but certainly from time to time, uh, at a, a very accomplished, uh, college kicker, uh, and his mom, when he was home on break, his mom would always call me up to make the, the appointments or our, our workout schedule and, I got tired of it and, and not, not that the kid um, was incapable of doing that. It, he was a fine kid, uh, a smart kid. It's just that he allowed his mom to kind of take care of that business. And I finally told her, I said, who's driving the bus here? Is it you or your son? And she said, it's my son. I said, okay, then he should be calling me asking for workouts and schedules, not you. And that was the last I heard from her. And then of course I hit it off with the kid and we, had great training sessions and it was a, kind of a normal coach uh, player relationship from that point on, but something needed to, Need to um, you said, so. uh, God bless you for saying it so nicely. And now, so, so let's segue into this a little bit here. So the launch pad is something that you created how many years ago? It, it's, it's one of the most, uh, let's see, where's the first country? Two thousand twelve was the first year. Wow. Okay. Uh, and basically, when I started getting into coaching and easing in the, I guess you call it retirement, but I'm busier now than I used to be when I played. <laughs> Good. Uh, that wasn't my plan, but it happened. Um, I just, you know, as it, I was, I would try to put myself back in in my player's shoes, going, okay, what what would have helped me as a player. Uh, whether it was high school, college, or pro, what what could I create now as a coach to benefit my guys? Um, the launching pad is a one-week camp for NFL-only specialists. We'll get about 10 to 12 kickers, punters, and long snappers that are on active rosters that are within two weeks of going to training camp. Mm. And it's the last opportunity for them to mentally and physically really dial it in and tune it up because once you get to training camp, you're, you're a week away from a scrimmage and you're two weeks, you know, two and a half weeks away from uh, a preseason game and things happen really fast. And if you're still tweaking 
your swing or experimenting or you just haven't nailed down something or or you got distracted in the month of July, which is really easy because you finish your off-season workouts in mid-June and then you have five to six weeks uh, of free time and then you don't have any free time the rest of the year. Mm. So uh, just like you and I are experimenting, ex- experiencing with the honeydew list, you got the honeydew list. Uh, you got DMVs, you got cars, you got stuff around the house, you got a vacation you got to hit with family members. And all of a sudden, um, training camps upon you and you're not in the mental, mental and physical shape you want to be in, even the shape you were in six weeks ago when, when the offseason workouts concluded. So you, you're in a little, a little bit of a trouble there. Yeah. And so I create this. Uh, guys love it. We have uh, we feed off of each other. Um, I teach them a lot. They teach each other a lot. They teach me stuff and, um, and they have a a nice competition amongst peers and training amongst peers that really gives them a nice springboard into training camp and into their season. That's amazing. That's amazing. So I, I I mean, I I guess I got to ask, you know, how much time do you spend discussing that mental and emotional side uh, of the game with these, with these young men? Uh, usually during the week, I like to, uh, either in a group setting and last year we did it in a group setting or, or one-on-one, um, especially if, if I know a guy's coming off a rough season or he's coming out of college and he's got a great opportunity, he's signed with a team, but you know, there were some hiccups in college. Um, I ask him, you know, I just make it this simple when you're stepping on the field for a game winning field goal, what's going through your head? Yeah. And that usually tells me a lot. Um, hopefully they tell me all the right stuff. Sometimes they'll tell me something that's new that, that I like, and sometimes they're way off base. And that's when I'm like, okay, uh, let's rethink this and let's come up with a plan. Of, like you mentioned a formula um, and build that and work on that this week. So um, we can get you to the performance level you want to be at in that situation. So John, maybe really quick, because there, there's like a couple big ones that I, I, I just got to ask you here. Um, but but maybe really quick to give us that insight that, that, that you know, many of us listening will, will never know. What are the things that should be on that checklist when you're asking, you know, a young kicker or an, even an accomplished kicker, you know, where, where your head is at, you know, where's your head at? What are some of the things they should be saying to you? Uh. Uh, and, and I'll kind of describe my thought process as I step on the field. Please, uh, please. The things that they um, <clears throat> that they should be sharing. And again, it goes back to preparation. So we we are assuming these are givens that they had an amazing week of preparation. They have all the right equipment for the surface and for the environment and for the the weather conditions. Um, they have figured out the weather conditions uh, prior to or during. Uh, prior to even getting to the game uh, because of film study and, and checking with some resources and networking, or they've just done a really good job in pregame of identifying the wins and identifying um, the pros and cons of the field. Uh, So those are all givens. And and sometimes, especially young kickers haven't even got those, but um, so those are givens. The guy's got a full tank of gas. He feels strong, you know, physically he's, he's prepared himself. He steps on the field. Uh, he's 
he's confirming again the the wind uh, or any conditions that may have changed uh, in the last five, 10, 20, 30 minutes, um, confirming that those are the same or he's got that figured out. Uh, he's looking for a great spot on the field. He's got an understanding of the time on the clock, um, the play clock, and whether or not a, a timeout uh, could happen, um, either by the opponent or your own coach. Um, uh, but what's, what's going through his head, what's going through my head is two swing thoughts, no more than two swing thoughts. So these are swing thoughts that I have practiced during the course of the week. And those are the swing thoughts that the only two things that I want going through my head at the time, um, those swing thoughts may change from game to game. Uh, but I will choose two swing thoughts and only two swing thoughts to take into a game. And I don't want to overcoach myself or outthink my swing. Uh, so two swing thoughts for me might be good tempo to the ball, finish kick. And I will put that on a loop in my head and I will continue to run that loop through my, my thought process as I'm preparing for the kick, good tempo, finish the kick. Because if I don't control my thought process, uh, human nature is that other uh, thoughts, uh, positive or negative, and hopefully not negative, but human nature is negative thoughts will come into my, my thought process, my thinking. Thoughts such like, um, don't miss this one like you did in the first quarter. Uh, if you miss this one, you're probably going to be cut. Um, you know, is a holder pissed off at you because, you know, you spent too much time in the net when he was trying to get into the net. Uh, and all these um, outside negative thoughts that have nothing to do with how well you're going to perform, they get they start to create anxiety and worry, uh, and they get you out of the swing thoughts that make you perform well. So uh, it's it's mental gymnastics for me. I I control my thought process by putting my two swing thoughts on a loop, and I will repeat those almost verbally. The entire time I'm out in the field, right up to the point where I'm calling for the ball to be snapped. John, you're the king, man. I, I, I right now, if you're feeling warm and sweaty, it's because I'm giving you a long distance hug. Okay. Um, I, I hope that we have people listening to what you're saying because it's just absolute nuggets of gold, brilliance you're sharing. I, I, I love what you're saying about. You know, your two swing thoughts, your, your mantra. I, I love what you're saying about controlling what you can control, you know, only letting in so much information, blocking out that which you, you know, you cannot control. Um, it's, it's brilliant. And, and so I, let, let me throw this at, at, at you here. Um, you ever, ever take the time to envision bad things happening when you're training? Uh Yes. Um, the, uh, the kicks we miss or, or the failures in our, in our careers, uh, those are the ones that are, that leave little scars. You just don't forget those. Mm -hmm. Um, I've forgotten people will come up to me and they'll talk about some game and I kick this and kick that and, and I'll forget those, but the, the, the kicks, the important kicks that I missed, um, I remember <laughs> almost every one of them. Mm -hmm. and, and many of them, I learned a lesson, uh, a very important lesson that, that ended up benefiting me down the road. Um, but, uh, 
but yes, that, that is, is motivation and fuel for me. So, and I'm training in the off season, feeling good about myself. Um, those are somewhere in the, in the back of my library. Uh, when, when I think, you know what, I, I can cruise this next month. Cause I'm, I'm really where I'm at and I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to peak too early before training camp. And, you know, I probably have time to take a vacation. Um, that those, that little, uh, DVD will and get pulled out of the slot in my library and go right up to the, the play yeah. button. And I'm like, Oh yeah, but that can happen. Uh, and then that again is motivation and fuel for me to, well, maybe I can work a little bit harder and prepare a little bit harder. So I don't ever have the, that another add one of those another one of those dvds into my my library of of scars and failures on the field i love it i love it and you know i i i have memories of of games saves miss saves from from when i was 12 years old so anyone who says you know oh i did block that stuff out i i i call complete bs on that but but I, I think that it's so awesome what you're sharing when we talk about the, the ability to kind of relive some of those scenarios that didn't go so well and pull information from there, right? And 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 I think that would potentially go back to to your big lessons that you're sharing today with with swing thoughts, right? Like what are the consistencies that help me propel my game forward in a good way, obviously. And yet, what are the consistencies of when I don't do that, right? When I have three swing thoughts or four swing thoughts and I'm overthinking, right. um, I, I think it really proves the power of what you're teaching and what you're sharing and how you're preparing yourself is, is what, I, what I think uh, when you say this stuff. Um, so so we, we all have at least one uh, big save, big kick, big play. In, in our memory bank, I got to ask you now, because the perfect time to ask is, what's your big one? What's, what's, what's the one that, that sticks with you in your belly the most? Make or miss? Either. Either. <laughs> and, and, and I'll tell you where I'm going with this, because uh, I'm, I'm not playing games w- 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 with you on this one. I know I have two in my life that I'll never forget. I'll, I may forget my name. I may forget where I put my socks one day. Um, but I know I won't forget these two things. And, and, and it's amazing when I ask these kind of questions to, to the guys, the things that they share, the things that mean some, something important to them. Yeah. Well, uh, probably the, you know, the number one, my, my, my biggest screw up, uh, was a miss extra point, um, which, uh, you know, from time to time, I'm reminded of. Uh, it has a gazillion views on YouTube. <laughs> Great. Uh, so, uh, and the media did me an injustice by creating this this scenario that I kept our team out of the playoffs and blah blah blah. So, sure. uh, so, and you know, there's there's reasons and aspects of why the kick didn't go through, but none of them are really good. You know, it's an extra point. You missed it. Uh, I missed it. Um, and that was against Jacksonville as a 15th week uh, or 15th game of our season, uh, saints, um, in Jacksonville, uh, we had to come back and play a game the next week, kick some field goals in it. No one cared. Uh, you know, um, it was a long, long, long off season. Um, but it, it 
again, a silver lining for me anyways, personally, um, at that point, and that was 2003, um, you know, I, I pictured myself playing a couple more years, uh, and, you know, heading into retirement and that, that trial uh, and that failure, I call it a failure on my part, um, really, uh, forced me to, to make a decision. Am I going to go out this way? And that's going to be, uh, the, the thought that people that comes to people's minds, you know, that that's going to be the mark of my career, or am I going to find a way to, to erase that, Mm -hmm. uh, and overcome that. And so that's when I talked about that, that story early on that I was going to get to. Um, so I started studying other kickers that I had great respect for like Morton Anderson and Gary Anderson. Uh, and then athletes out of that, outside of that, like Tiger Woods or, uh, um, Michael Jordan. And I, I wanted to, I wanted to just do a brief study of, of their careers and had had there been a point in their career where they just really had a screw up you know they really dunked it in the wrong direction for their team and and uh you know the team paid for it and uh they all have them they all have you know games uh important games where things didn't go their way and their performance was subpar and um i was like okay well if that can happen to the best of the best it can happen to anybody um so stop feeling sorry for myself and get back to work. And, you know, that was a long off season, but it was a long off season of, of training and reevaluating my training, reevaluating my focus, reevaluating my, my circle of trust. Um, and, uh, and getting back in the saddle and I ended up playing another eight years, a pro bowl and a super bowl. So I was like, okay, well that worked out pretty well, but, um, so, it's a pretty good comeback. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, you know, it was, it, it certainly sucked for that to happen, but uh, I learned a lot from it. Um, miss a, a kick against Michigan in, in college, which I would love to have back. I swear it was tipped because it felt pretty good coming off my foot. But again, you know, the ball didn't go through the uprights. Um, as far as made kicks, uh, uh, made my last kick in college was a game winner against USC. Um, that was a, a great way to go out. Um, I had some long kicks, a 54 yarder to beat uh, Seattle, which was a six field goal of the game that I had kicked. Um, wow. And then uh, our first game after Hurricane Katrina, our first regular season game after Hurricane Katrina with the Saints, we're playing the Carolina Panthers. We, we're we're outmatched. They're supposed to kill us. And we end up beating them with a, you know, we play a great game. It was a windy day in Carolina and we hit a 47 yard field goal at the end of the game to, to win the game as our city's still underwater. And that was a, according to everybody for the Gulf South, that was very uplifting for, for sports and, and for the, the saints to go out there and uh, to beat a really strong Carolina team. So those, those are some kicks that, um, that I like to look back on and, and uh smile that things went well buddy you you know god bless you because um thanks to you my 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 streak is still alive and um my my streak is that of you must have hit at least two or three memories that for all the tea in china people never would have guessed 
And, and, and th this is why I asked like uh, silly questions like that. Um, because we never know what those special ones are for, for each other. We never know what those special goals, special field goals, touchdowns, home runs, whatever it may be. We, we never really know unless we're, we're getting the, the opportunity, like I'm blessed to have today to talk with you, to hear about your special ones, you know, and, and thank you for sharing them because those are really, those are really special ones. Like they're, they're ones that might not, you know, anyone would, would really know, you know, unless they knew you. Um, let me, let me ask you this last thing here. You a big visualization guy. You, you, you teach your guys visualization stuff. Uh, <clears throat> I think I do. Um, I, I, I encourage them to choose the, their target line wisely and, and to see the flight of the ball going towards their target line. Um, you know, for punters, you know, really really having a good idea where they want that ball to come down and how they want that ball to fly um so i think that's that's very important and then uh, during the course of the week i think it's really important and this is something that uh that i learned i really wanted to see film of the field i was going to be playing on wow and I wanted to picture myself in that environment at that field uh especially if it was a foreign field that i wasn't familiar with. So when I got there, I felt like I'd already been there before. And I, and after watching the film, um, just checking the, the landmarks of the stadium that I'd already studied on film. Wow. That's huge. You know, again, to, to draw a cheesy um, similarity, you and I, um, with, with hockey goalies, we do the same thing. We, we, we look at little marks on the boards where logos are on the boards or on the ice so that we know that our, like you, our angles are on. And, and, and we, we just, we call it ice geography. You're calling it stadium geography to, you know, take that data, put it into your memory bank so that your snapshot before you follow through is all in line with all the variables that you could have in that pristine picture that you create when you're following through. Um, John, I can't thank you enough. And I, I, I could take you hostage for at least 32 more hours, just so you know. Um, but I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to talk with me today and, and, and our listeners. Um, again, good luck with um, your program right now. Are you guys going to be doing anything soon with, with the lockout or the, the lockdown, I guess? Being well, we, think, we think we're inside a week or, or, or less of uh of being able to start up officially again uh you know right. really running people through our gym and running people onto the field so we're uh we're back to kicking and punting and snapping and and getting guys ready for their upcoming season whatever that's going to look like uh, yeah. we've got a lot of college guys in town that because they're not in college they're not there anymore so they're here and so i want to get them on the field and make sure uh you know everybody's going to be a little rusty because a lot of guys couldn't get on fields and yeah. so, um, get them back on track and get them back uh, into the weight room and make sure, you know, these home workouts only go so far. Uh, right. So we get them back up to speed. Um, so I'm looking forward to getting with them and then even getting the NFL guys who also miss an entire off season of training with their team, uh, getting them in here in July and getting them ready for their camps as well. So hopefully soon. 
Well, buddy, if anybody would ever want to reach out to you and, and, and connect, maybe it's inform, information regarding your camps or, or, or just getting information to, to maybe help their son or daughter move on, whatever it may be, what's the best way for people to gain more information and maybe gain some access to you? Sure. Just go to carneycoaching.com and uh, email us from there. Uh, Carney Kicking is our Instagram. You could direct message me. I know kids like to direct message <laughs> over yeah. email. So yeah. go to carnykeeking.com and direct message us and uh, we'll get back to you and tell you what we got going. And um, we have uh, we have a strength and conditioning ebook. Um, so that's been selling really well. I, I put that together and it came out in, I think, October of last year. Uh, so that's skill specific strength and conditioning for kickers and punters. Uh, we have an instructional video called Kick, Punt, and Train Like a Pro. Um, that's also something very valuable. We go through a ton of skills, drills, demonstrations, and that a, a lot of information there. And, um, I do evaluations over the, over the internet as well. So if the oh, wow. guy can send me a film, uh, we can go over that film and talk in a zoom call like this, and we can, uh, kind of pick apart his, his swing and, and what he's doing and, and move him on from there. If he can't make it out to California. Oh, that's awesome. That is so awesome. Oh my God. Well, we're going to, I'm going to make sure that we have all this up uh, as attachments and links uh, when we go live with this. And um, again, I, I can't thank you enough for spending the time to talk with me today and, and sharing what you have. And, and I'm letting you know now that we are going to have you back on this again, whether you realize this or not. Okay. And, and now that I have a clue of where you live and how I can get a hold of you, I'm going to say the same thing to you that my best friend said to me 35 years ago. And that is um, the worst thing you could have ever done is show me where you live. Cause now I can find you. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, John, thank you so much. I can't thank you enough. And, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk with you soon. Take care. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Jason.